Have you ever wondered what it would be like to write hit songs for a living? Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. This interview was recorded during my recent trip to California, where I had the chance to profile so many exceptional women, including the one you are about to meet. Her name is Lindy Robbins. She is a multi-platinum selling, award-winning songwriter whose songs, well, I think you know them by heart. She got her start singing with her dad when she was about three years old. She was really good at it. And then she ended up in a vocal group, touring the country, selling out shows, and even singing at Carnegie Hall. Every singer's dream, right? But when Lindy realized that writing songs for the group was more satisfying than singing them, she shifted her focus to songwriting. And she's been a success story ever since. With mega hits for the Backstreet Boys, Demi Lovato, Jason Derulo, and dozens more, Lindy is at the top of her game. Recorded in her backyard garden, where I believe her property is in the flight path for LAX, so you're going to hear a lot of planes overhead. This interview reveals not only what it takes to write a hit song, but how to achieve longevity in a business that very few people survive. Here's the interview. Take a listen. The sheer volume of hit songs that you have written, honestly, is stunning. I've played quite a few of them on the radio, so you can say thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You started singing when you were only three years old. Your dad, a musician. Tell us a little bit about what life was like when you were a little girl. This is amazing. Oh, wow. Well, my dad, piano and music was everything to him. The Great American Songbook. So I grew up with musicals and Gershwin and Rodgers and Hart and Rodgers and Hammerstein. And then later he would play Elton John and Jody Mitchell and Billy Joel. But mostly it was like Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra and Barbara Streisand. That's what I grew up with. And I just started singing when I was a little girl. Three years old? Three years old. Every time I was anywhere near him, there was always singing and performing. And usually those standards, which I think have served me well, the knowledge of that kind of music that I know so many other people in pop music are not as aware of those songs, but I know them all because I was raised on them. And you were performing on stages in New York City and in Los Angeles. How exciting. I was. I was. I mean, it wasn't ultimately my path, and I'm so beyond grateful every day for the path that that I tripped onto. But I did perform quite a bit. I got to perform at Carnegie Hall with the vocal group and so many amazing things as a performer, but ultimately songwriting was the path. Carnegie Hall as a singer. Yeah. Bucket list. Yeah, bucket list. Do you remember that moment? Oh, yeah. I sure do. You must have sounded like a million bucks. That's oh, I, I guess... could sing. I could sing back then. <laughs> I was in the 90s. I could sing. You just said that you tripped on songwriting. Tell me that story. Well, because I went to New York as part of a vocal group and was trying to audition for Broadway shows. And it was always like, thank you, next. Thank you, next. We had success in the cabarets and clubs. People would line up to see us at 1 a.m. I mean, it was crazy. New York in the early 90s. I started writing songs for the vocal group, and I started to realize that when we had a show, I was so much more excited that we were performing the original material than I was about actually being a performer. And then I had a few songs, and somebody did a favor to somebody else. One of the composers said, we'll see her, but we're not signing any writers. And I mean, I didn't even know what a publishing deal was. And I came and I had three or four songs and they said, we want to sign you. Who's your lawyer? And I said, 
What? And like, how old were you when this happened? Well, we don't talk age. Okay. All right. Like so that. you were a young woman just getting started yes. and you get a publishing deal, which yes. feels larger than life. Yeah, no, it was incredible. And I just started to realize this is what I want to do. And then 1998, that's when I moved back to LA because even though I was in the cabaret world and musical theater at that point, I always still was a pop person. My influences were Sheryl Crow. and I was and, just going to ask yeah. you that. Who my, were yeah, your My early... influences were... From Laura Nero and Joni Mitchell to Sheryl Crow to Alison Krauss, who's probably my favorite singer, and Trisha Yearwood, and oh, so many of the singer-songwriters. Beautiful voices, though, right? James Taylor to Duncan Sheik to just real songs, I suppose, but in a more pop element. That always really was what I did, even though I'd grown up in the theater and I had written these sort of cabaret songs. That's who I was and what I was about. And so in 1998, I just realized this is what I want to do. I want to write pop songs. When we first walked into your home, I saw a beautiful baby grand piano. Do you play the piano as well? I actually don't. Okay. So I write melody and lyrics. I actually, now that I'm working on a couple of musicals, I've come to realize it was probably the biggest mistake of my life. I've always thought that it would be more of a hindrance because I work with such great songwriters, musicians, and producers, I always hear the music in my head. Does that happen first? Do you hear the music um, or do you write I, the It all the comes lyric? together when I'm writing things very rarely on my own for like a musical, but I can figure out very, very simple chords, but I never in my life had the patience to learn or do anything that didn't just come naturally to me. I never took a class or studied anything. I just realized I can write songs. I can write lyrics. What I can a sing. gift. What a talent. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe it, laziness too, but no. like I never could dance and I never could learn. And I just never had the patience for piano. And I wish that I would have. There's a discipline to songwriting. Can you tell us a little bit about how you write? Well, again, lazy and not disciplined because... I've never, like this morning, I had a Zoom, which, you know, is one of the good things that have come out of the pandemic. And I had this crazy Zoom, three other people, one was in Amsterdam, one was in Norway, and one was in Berlin. Three young men, and we wrote two songs in two hours. This rarely happens. I never have ideas. I just, somebody starts playing something and it just flies into them. I have too many ideas. I annoy people. What about this? What about that? And they're like, please give me a chance to think, just... Please stop talking for one. I can feel it. I've learned to literally remove myself from the room because I'm just spurting ideas. Collaboration, though, is a magical thing, too. Have you worked with certain co-writes where you just snapped? I've worked with so many co-writes where I snapped and co-writes where it just wasn't a good fit. Tell me about the first time you ever heard a song that you wrote coming out of the radio. I actually do remember. It was incomplete. That was for the Backstreet Boys. That was my first hit. It was my first single. I had had a lot of cuts, but I never had a single. And I remember it was before streaming radio was so big and they used to do the top 10 at 10. And I sat in my car and I just cried like a baby. And it was on there for a while. And every single night I sat in my car and turned on my radio to hear it. I tried to go like I never knew you. I'm awake, but my world is half asleep. to be unbroken but without you all I'm going to be incomplete 
It never gets old, does it? Oh, no. Sometimes I'll be like in the supermarket and I'll go, what's that song? And I'll be like, oh, that's my song. And sometimes I'll be like, I wrote that. And I'm like, no, I didn't write that. Somebody else's song that I just know. It's the funniest thing. It always takes me by surprise and it always just fills me with joy. Bonnie Raitt once told me this years ago. She said, finding a song that's the perfect fit for me is like finding a jewel at the bottom of the ocean. Artists must be so grateful when your song is their perfect fit. In pop, most of the artists want to write the song or write on the song or be part of the song. It's still an amazing thing when you find a fit. And I just was blessed enough to have a song called Blessed on Kelly Clarkson's Christmas record. So that was really exciting because she still cuts outside songs. But it's becoming less and less that people will just cut an outside song. But you'll take it. I'll take it. Love to talk to you about the stories behind a couple of these really big mega hits. But before I ask you to tell the story behind Skyscraper, Demi Lovato's big number one song, I want to tell you a story about a woman whom I interviewed in Boston who is a stage four breast cancer survivor with two young children. Diagnosed at 37, she is still alive today at 42, living with terminal breast cancer. Lindy... Every infusion she has, she listens to Skyscraper in her headphones. Oh, boy, oh, boy. And even as I'm telling you that, it's making me cry. How does it feel when you hear stories like that about your music? Well, this is a really intense one because, first of all, both of my sisters are breast cancer survivors. And I can't even really let this in too deeply deeply right now because I'm trying to hold it together. But there's a very incredible and legendary songwriter who became an A&R person who everybody in LA knows and all around the world. His name is John Lind. John Lind wrote Save the Best for Last and Crazy for You for Madonna and Boogie Wonderland, but he became an A&R person who always believed in my songs. Skyscraper had sat around for a couple of years. Long story, but he decided he wanted to take a chance in it as a single for Demi Lovato. He passed away of cancer about three weeks ago. Well, he must be channeling us in this conversation. It was extremely, extremely difficult. That really is the highest compliment that could ever be given to a songwriter. I mean, that I change somebody's life or change somebody's day or help somebody to survive cancer because of this song that was just a joy to write. It must be one of the blessings of being a songwriter. Are you kidding? It's like, it's everything. You can take everything I have. Can break everything I am like a made of glass, like a made of paper, and go on and try to tear me down. I will be rising from the ground like a skyscraper, like a skyscraper. So what's the story behind the song Skyscraper? So it was one of the very few times that I had a title. I was on the plane going to New York to work with them. Toby had a studio on 46th Street in New York. I was in L.A. And I just said, Skyscraper. I read it in a magazine and I said, let's write a song called Skyscraper with Curly and Toby. And he started just playing the piano and I started singing and Curly started singing also, and but making this amazing art and drawings about her childhood in Estonia. And it just all came from all of us from this amazingly emotional place. 
sharp left-hand turn, Jason Derulo, Want to Want Me. Want to Want Me was such a different experience. And Want to Want Me was a song that probably taught me the most lessons because I used to do a writing camp with some very big writers. Julia Michaels was one of them, probably one of her first co-writers, and Jason Evigan, Ian Kirkpatrick, Sean Douglas, Mitch Allen, Sam Martin. They've all become you know very, very, very successful. We used to rent a house in Lake Arrowhead. No chefs, no cooks, no runners, and just lock ourselves in that house and write songs. Want to Want Me was the second camp, and we came up with the idea, and it was originally called Girl from New York City. Oh, I got a girl in New York City, which I loved. And the guy had to rush out, and he goes, that is just terrible. I said, no, it's good. He goes, no, we're going to get together in L.A. So we get together in L.A. to rewrite it. And I said, Want to Want Me, and he goes, that's it. And I just thought, well, that's the dumbest thing ever. And it ended up being by far the biggest hit of my career. And I really learned something that it just, it sang well and it felt good and it was the right words for that song. And it really taught me a lesson that simplicity is often the most difficult thing to do. And in this case, I think with the verses being very colorful and descriptive, this repetitive, just hooky chorus very memorable. worked and it was memorable. And boy, am I grateful for that one. You've had some big hits, some cuts with Faith Hill and Keith Urban, Leanne Rhymes. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, none of the country songs I've ever written were never written in Nashville. It was really a lesson for me. I've taken many trips to Nashville. But I thought about it and I thought, Nashville, people are there living and breathing country music every single day, writing usually two songs a day. So they're writing hundreds of songs a year. So somebody like me is going to come out for a week, really more of a pop writer, and be like, oh, let me write country songs. So I learned a long time ago, I just write what I write. Relationships are everything in oh, every business absolutely. and in the music business. Of course. Tell me how. Being a good person and being good at what you do so that even if you haven't had a hit in a minute, people still want to get with you. You have to listen. For me, I think that's the key to my longevity is I always think, okay, maybe this young person is going to bring something different. Or if I'm in a room writing a country song, I should probably listen to somebody who's writing this music all the time. Or if it's something more R&B, I'm going to kind of, you know, and there's sometimes when I lead because I just have it. With my regular co-writers, it's like, it doesn't matter who has it. That day, it might just be, I've got it. And it's like, let me run. And they might have it, let them run. It doesn't matter. We respect each other. And it's like, you let somebody just kind of go and it's about the hang. It's about being cool. It's about treating everybody with equal respect. It's about treating that person who might be somebody's assistant. And five years from now, I know an assistant who's now a huge A&R person. I mean, that happens all the time. Look you, at Trisha Yearwood and Faith Hill. They were receptionists exactly. at Capitol Records. Exactly. And, yeah. You never get you too big never for your know. britches. You keep your head down and you do the work. And hopefully you've got some longevity. Everybody needs somebody who really believes in them, Lindy. Has there been someone in your life who, even in tough times, maybe if you hadn't had a hit for a while, who believes in you and says you can do this? You know, there have been. Right now, I think it's I'm working with a woman who named Anna Schlaffer, and she's kind of my manager. I mean, we have sort of an interesting arrangement, but she believes in me so strongly, and she gives me faith in myself because I haven't had a hit in a minute, and 
it's also the pandemic. Everything's been strange for the last two years. But she's just always setting me up with stuff and believing in me and putting me in these great situations. And I just appreciate it so much. And there's been different people. This woman, Ryana Gillespie, who was the first person that signed me. Donna Kassane, who then took over. Benjamin Groff, the people at Cobalt, who I've been with Cobalt for 10 years. Sass, who runs Cobalt, and Jamie. And, you know, there's just been a lot of different people. I wouldn't say I had one particular person who was my mentor, but there's been a lot of people along the way that have kept me believing in myself. Is there a song in the world that you listen to, whether it's, you know, at home on your computer or you hear it in the in the car that you say to yourself, oh, I wish I wrote that song. You know, there's a lot of them. There's a huge song right now called ABCDEFU. And I just keep saying, how could I not have thought of that? It's so brilliant and it's so simple and it's so right there. And I just kick myself. I was saying that today. How could I not have thought about it? How could nobody have thought A, B, C, D, E, F, U? So that one just kills me. You know, there's always new talent. There's always the next thing and people thinking outside of the box. And, you know, I teach once a year the Johnny Mercer Project. He's at Northwestern. I'm about to do my fourth year. It's a week long. I encourage anybody to apply for it because there's anything from musical theater to country to R&B to pop. But I always tell the students, don't be a follower, be a leader. Don't try to copy what's on the radio. Try to do what only you can do. Write about yourself. Only you have your story. That's why somebody like Billie Eilish will come out of the blue and be like, she doesn't sound like anybody else. Or Doja Cat. Now, these are not necessarily my cups of tea, but I admire that they have forged new paths, that new music that nobody else has heard. Speaking of music that you're doing now, you mentioned early on in our interview, musical theater, that that seems to be something you're coming back around again. Yeah, even though I never wrote a musical, I was asked to write a musical, and it's actually, the music is rock, pop, country, and bluegrass. And I was asked to do it because they wanted somebody who understood musical theater, but was not like a typical traditional musical theater writer. So I'm very excited about this. And then my brain has just started writing a musical review very musical theater, because I used to write comedy songs and powder songs and all these kinds of songs. And I would hide that because I wanted to be cool and write pop music. Now I've been doing this for so long that I'm like, I don't care. I want to do it all. It's really been a long ride for you with so many different genres of music. What do you wish you knew, Lindy, when you first got started as a songwriter? That if I was in an uncomfortable situation, if I was in a session that felt wrong with people who did not feel like they were treating me right or got me or were making me feel good that I could leave or that I could just say hey guys something came up or you know what let's finish this another day and just tell my publisher or whatever that did not feel good also overbooking and chasing now I think you need to have when you're younger this ambition and you need to say yes to a lot and I said yes to everything but in the beginning It was too much to where I would just chase and chase and chase. Even when I knew my gut, I'm exhausting myself. I'm doing three sessions today. I'm working on a Sunday. Now I freely, freely say no. I still have a little bit of that FOMA that we all have like, but what if, but what if? And my husband, I've only been married four months. So that was one of the biggest surprises. Congratulations. Thank you. We've been together four and a half years and never thought that was going to happen. But he's amazing. And always just like, you need an off day. And sometimes in my day off, That's when I'll come up with all kinds of things. So I need to recharge more. And I think I used to be really afraid to say no. 
Last two questions we ask everybody who sits where you are. And the first one is, this is a huge body of work for you. What are you most proud of? I'm really proud of the songs that you brought up, Skyscraper, Want to Want Me. There's a song called Cinderella that a lot of young girls, like when I'm working with a 25-year-old, they're like, oh my God, I grew up in that song and I know every step to the dance. I wrote it a cappella. And then I had a friend of mine help me, you know, he put chords to it. And it became like this, it was the Cheetah Girls, and it became kind of an anthem. It's the only song I ever wrote like that, just all the whole thing a cappella. And Kevin Savagar ended up co-writing it with me, so I want to give him some kudos here. But I don't know, I'm really proud of that one because it is one that so many girls have posted about and said this, you know, shaped my life. Blessed, the, the current one with Kelly Clarkson, is very, very proud of that song. There has been... A few along the way. You've had a lot of blessings, haven't you? I've had a lot of blessings, and I hope to have a lot more. What has been the key, do you think, to your success in music? I've had a really good eye for young talent. I've discovered quite a few people where maybe they hadn't had a hit, maybe they hadn't had a cut, but I heard somebody's voice or I got together with a, a producer. I'm not great with knowing what a beat should be, but just something about them, and I gave them a shot. I had hits with these people. So I think... It's always having an open mind and not being stuck in my ways at all. I'm open to really anything. And the reason I'm still doing this, and I have the great privilege of continuing to do this because I want to, not because I need to. So I'm very grateful for that. And I feel more inspired in some ways than I ever have. Staying inspired is what keeps us doing what we love, right? My thanks to Lindy Robbins for sharing her story with us. If you know someone I should feature on the show, I'd love to hear all about her. Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, O-T-E-R-R-Y. And if you like what you hear on this show, I hope you will give the show a follow. And please like my Facebook page if you would. It's Candy O'Terry Official. I'll have another fresh episode of the story behind her success for you next week. And remember... When we share our stories, we give each other a roadmap towards success. And before you know it, we believe if she can do it, I can do it. So what's your story? I can't wait to hear it.